talks But it don't sing and dance And it don't walk As long as I can have you here with me I'd much rather be Forever in blue jeans my peepas it's uh sunday february 21st 2021 11 in the a.m i'm gonna try to rush through this thing so i can do a podcast with my cousin harry and um his feed is eskimo bros 69 and i might get into that a little bit later but for now i want to thank you for listening to the life in paradise podcast my name is Brandon Harper. I'm the one and only host of this show. I fly the ship. I call the shots. I'm the guy in charge. I come here about once every week or two or sometimes three to get all of the opinions that have been piling up off of my chest. You'll probably agree with some and disagree with others. One thing you'll learn about me is that I do not do pre-recorded intros. I've got a pretty good lineup of things to talk about today. All I ask is that you sit back, relax, and hand me the pull start to your lawnmower for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And welcome back. I have successfully made it through a week of Arctic-like temperatures, frozen ground, busted pipes. Actually, I didn't have any busted pipes. I know a lot of people who did. Mine made it through. I did have some pipes freeze and stop the water going into a little um, guest house that I have. So, But nothing burst, so I got lucky. I'm pretty sure it's done with the ridiculously cold freezing weather now. Um, and we had a huge power debacle here in Texas. So I'll probably touch on that a little bit later. I got a list of things I want to go through, and I'm the kind of person that likes to go in order, if you know what I mean. First thing I want to talk about, which I know everyone already knows of this, so it's not news. So keep in mind, I don't come to bring you news. I come to expound on the news. So the passing of Rush Limbaugh, and I was not a huge Rush Limbaugh fan, meaning that I did not listen to every second of his shows. I didn't even listen to them every day. I probably listened to his shows once every week or so. 
And I never listened to a whole show in its entirety, but I'd catch bits and pieces here and there. I think if you're not willing to admit that, that the passing of Rush Limbaugh was a great loss, then you truly are not an open-minded individual. And I don't mean that in like a um, critical way, but let's just break it down a little bit. So here you had a, a radio format that was dying, the AM, AM format. You know, FM came out. It was a lot clearer. It was crisper. It was easier to listen to, uh, had less static, just a better off format. So what they did is they hired this guy named Rush Limbaugh, and they put him on an AM station in the middle of the day. So it's basically the cheapest radio time you can have. And they thought, well, maybe he'll sell some ads and maybe he'll, you know, make us some money. And what he did was brought a way to connect with the average working man who had never been connected with. So up until the time of Rush, they had these big radio personalities, but they didn't act and talk and think and speak like the guy that someone goes to work with, right? Rush Limbaugh took the average man and he took, he took politics and he broke it down to a way to just the average person that could understand it. The guy who worked on the job site, guy who ran heavy equipment. You know, he, he took it and he just dissected it. And, and whether or not you agree with Rush Limbaugh's political leanings, you have to admit that he had a huge impact. And, and not just radio, but the, the political sector, um, bringing people into politics, helping people understand things. And he was one of the first people who was willing to put out his opinion. So he wasn't just a journalist. He was a political commentator. And I came across someone this week, and it was actually right when I heard the news. And my phone buzzed, and I looked at it, and it was a text from my cousin Jordan. And it said, R.I.P. Rush Limbaugh. And I thought, oh, man. I mean, I knew he was sick, but I knew he was going to pass. I didn't think it was going to be this soon, though. But either way, it caught me a little bit off guard. I announced it next to someone that I was standing next to. And this person is a raging liberal. You know, they don't, they don't give any thought to, to the right way of looking at things. It's just like the left is right, and we need more regulation, and we need more government, and we need more rules, and we need more laws. It's, this is that kind of person. And he goes, good. And I was like, really, man? Like, really? Is that how you feel? Are you really happy that someone died because they had different political viewpoints than you? Now, I didn't say all this. I just looked at him and go, oh, man, that's kind of harsh. Because it was in the middle of a work day, and it was someone that I work with, and I just wasn't ready to get into it. But I thought to myself, like that, I sure hope that if you're left-leaning, or you call yourself a liberal, that you don't let that behavior define your group of people that you represent. Because in my opinion, that is the most shitty way to be. That you call yourself open-minded, you, you call yourself open to new ideas, and you call yourself willing to accept things, willing to think out of the box. This is what liberalism represents. But you are so caught up in someone's political viewpoints that you can't recognize them for 30 years of amazing art. And that's what Rush Limbaugh did. That was his art. And if you think anyone else can do what he did, go ahead and do it. Because he was flying in private jets 15, 20 years ago. So if you think you can do it, go for it. I cannot honestly think of anyone 
that I would be excited about if they died. Unless, unless they were a killer, right? If they had killed people or if deaths had happened at their hands or people have gotten murdered, you know, if we're talking about a dictator, then yeah, sure. I might say, oh, well, that's good. You know, when, when um, Saddam Hussein, they got him and what was the dude's name in Cuba? Castro. Whenever Castro died, I was like, well, maybe Cuba will see some good now. You know, but but just someone who who has opposing political viewpoints. I mean, yeah, like I said, if you're from the left or you call yourself a liberal or a Democrat, do not let that behavior define you. Something suspiciously tells me that there are lots of people out there who did feel joy and happiness when they learned of Rush Limbaugh's passing. And that that should be embarrassing. I don't care how you feel politically. And there's lots of people who called him a racist or said he, you know, was too lighthearted and he didn't take things seriously. But yet anyone who met him in person or dealt with him said he was the kindest, most genuine, caring, compassionate person that they'd ever met. So who are you going to believe? Well, I don't really care who you believe. You can believe whoever you want to. My point is that we cannot let people classify other people Something as severe as a racist, whenever their life, their life works or what they've done in their life, is completely opposite. So you look at Rush Limbaugh, and you look at all these people who say good things about him. His producer, Snurdly, is a black guy. And there's nothing that he's done throughout his life that you could call him a racist for. He's made comments on his radio show, which you know probably correspond with statistics... Either way, he gets called a racist. I just think he's a good example of how we can let actions speak louder than words. If we're going to take words and we're going to twist them up and, and put them into our narrative, that's fine. But their actions need to agree with that. So RIP Rush Limbaugh. I didn't listen to many of his shows, but I probably will go back and listen to them. And I think it's pretty cool that they're making, it, making all of his work public now. At least that's what I heard. So... It should be available. If nothing else, go back and listen to him. And even if you don't agree with what he says, listen to how he breaks things down, how he communicates, the types of people that he talks to on the phone, how he treats them. And yeah, I think you might be pleasantly surprised. Especially if you spent the last X amount of years hearing what a dog he was without actually experiencing it yourself. But enough about that. You didn't pay to hear me talk about Rush Limbaugh. You paid to hear me tell you about inflation. It's coming. In fact, it's here. Inflation is here. What does that mean? How do you know? What have you seen? Well, let me just explain it to you. I know I've mentioned briefly about it, and I've given it a couple of uh, a little examples. But what's happening right now is that the prices of everything are about to start going up. And the reason for that is because the federal government is creating money and pumping it into the economy. And eventually, remember, supply and demand, when you have an increased supply of something, it decreases the value. Let's take the aged-old example of the widget factory in the widget market. I own a company and I make widgets. I make a 1,000 widgets per day. My widgets go into the marketplace. All of a sudden, people decide they love my widgets. Everyone wants to have a widget. But there's not enough widgets to go around. So what I, I do, I start making more widgets so that I can sell them. 
So now they're available in more stores and more people can buy them and they're easier to come by. What happens when this takes place? The price falls. There's less scarcity. There's more widgets that want homes than people who want to buy widgets. So the same thing's happening with the dollar. And that's because the federal government is creating more money because of this COVID situation and because of the state of the economy. And so what are some of the signs that we're seeing? Okay, so I think I mentioned a week or two ago about commodities, right? These are things that we use for inputs. These are things like steel, copper, ore, corn, pork meat, beef, things that that go in ingredients and things that we do in everyday life, regardless of how rich or how poor you are, you can still afford eggs, right? These are things that are found in manufacturing that lots of people need. And in order for these manufacturing companies to, to make their product, they have to buy these inputs. Why is it that the price of inputs is rising? Because there's more people out there that have money. And so they want, they're willing to pay more for the input so that they can have their input. So for instance, the price of plywood has almost doubled over the last two or three weeks. That's crazy because plywood goes in everything. Every, every construction project, everywhere you've seen, they use plywood in some sort of fashion. Corn, I believe, has gone up 15, 20% in the last three weeks. Ammunition. Ammunition has gone through the roof. Now, that's partly for a couple other reasons, but let's just look at the supply side. They use brass, they use gunpowder, they use lead. Those are the three main things that they use. Those have all gone up. It's not the greedy ammo makers who are making tons of money. Everyone's making the same amount of money. They're just paying more for their inputs. And that cost has to be passed on to the consumer. Another thing that I always mention to watch is the rate of the treasury bill. When those start to climb, we're having problems. It's happening. Fuel prices are going up. There's been no change in supply or demand. If that's the case, why in the world are the prices going up? Yeah, I know the oil prices are going up, which is causing the gas prices to go up. But why are the oil prices going up? No change in supply or demand. We didn't just all of a sudden start drilling. Now, part of this might be because of Biden's pushback for fracking in the U.S. on public lands and whatnot, which is another story for another day. But I will say this. Stopping oil production in the U.S. is very, very stupid. Why? Because now we rely on our enemies to buy our most basic input. Terrible strategy. Terrible. Okay, so we've established that inflation is here. It's, it's knocking, knocking at the back door, just lightly tapping. It's saying, hey, hey, I'm here. It's me, inflation. I'm going to take over your bank account. I'm going to kill your 401k. Come on, just let me in. Just let me in a little bit, a little bit more. Okay, you get the picture. So what's the solution? What can be done? Cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin is all I know to say. Obviously, you can still buy land. You can still buy gold. But I've figured out that, that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency will only increase as long as we're having inflation. It's probably too long and technical to go into here because I don't think you guys care as much as I do. But last week, I explained the, the basic premise of Bitcoin and how it worked. And I want to expound on that a little bit more. I want to show to you the, the value of this 
technology other than using it as an investment tool. I think we're on a springboard of a whole new technology that's about to launch. It's going to be the, well, it's already launched technically, but it's going to take off the, the blockchain, the cryptocurrency, this whole world is just, just rearing its head at the perfect time. It is at the perfect timing. And, and you know, like they say, out of necessity comes innovation. The marketplace will produce whatever it needs to. And that, I think we're there. So last week, if you remember when I talked about Bitcoin, I explained there was what's called the blockchain. And that's basically a long ledger that, that allows for the imprinting and storage of any, anything, any record, any photo, any date-specific information. And it stays there forever, and it's guarded, and it uses the computing power from everyone's computer who participates to maintain the consistency of it and the legitimacy of the data. So what does this look like? Well, think about things from like storing medical records. Think if, you're, if there was a place that you could store medical records and they were there, they were encrypted, you couldn't see them, you couldn't access them unless you had one little code. And then you could pull it out. And you know that everything on there, everything that's produced, given back to you is 100% legit. There's no forgery. There's no like emailing. It's just there. Now, you can do it with medical records. You can do it with real estate transactions. Imagine not having to go through and try to figure out, well, I think this person sold this to this on this date. It would all be right there. You would know exactly when they closed on the property down to the nanosecond. What about this? What if I could take a digital picture of, of a piece of artwork and I could stamp that into the, the ledger, the blockchain? Now that digital rendering is stuck there forever. And let's go down the road 100 years and someone has this piece of artwork and they say, man, this is a nice piece of art. I bought it from uh, my grandfather's friend's estate sale. You know, supposedly it's worth fifteen dollars or $20,000. I gave 500 bucks for it. And now you can take that digital imprint from the blockchain and you can compare it against the, the photo that this person has. And you can validate whether or not it's legitimate or a replica or a knockoff or whatever. Basically, anything that needs record keeping, anything that needs to be, that needs data, which has to be managed or stored or reproduced. No, that's just one way that it can be used through the, the storing of data and records. Another way that it can be used, and this, this is the one that's going to take it up there. This is the one that's going to make it worldwide, is the ability to be used as a store of value. And by that, I mean, like, think of it like a bank. If you just put all of your earnings and everything you make into Bitcoin and you keep it there, instead of putting it in a bank, that's a whole world. That's something that we're not used to. We don't understand how it works. We know we can do it for less money. We know we can do it for more accuracy. We know we can do it to protect against inflation. Now, here's the kicker. How can we protect against inflation? Because we know that no more Bitcoins can ever be produced. Only 21 million will ever be available. Now, right now, we're at like 18.5. Remember, 21, point, 21 million is the most that can ever be produced. And I think 2024 is when the last one is supposed to be mined. Now, listen, hey, there's a chance that they could keep digging in the blockchain, in the mine, and at the very last one that comes out, it could make everything go to zero. Who knows? I don't know. That's beyond my pay scale. 
But I knew I do know that when you've got these companies, these giant institutions that are putting billions of dollars into it, that they've probably done way more research than I have. I just encourage everyone out there to go start reading about it. If you have a little bit of money and you want to invest in it, I highly recommend it. Actually, you know what? I am not highly recommend. Do not put your money in Bitcoin. Don't do it. I have to say that legally. But if you're interested, there's tons of information out there. And if it's boring to you, endure it as much as you can and then contact me and I'll break down the details for you. So Bitcoin is just one cryptocurrency amongst a sea of other ones. There's one called Ethereum, E-T-H-E-R-E-U-M. And this is like Bitcoin's little brother. It moves right along with Bitcoin. I think right now Bitcoin's at 57,000 and Ethereum is right around 2,000. So the main difference though is that Ethereum, it still has its own ledger. Everything is still stored in place and counted. But it's a platform to actually build software. And this is where it gets a little bit out of my league is that I just don't understand a lot about that. But supposedly, it's it's kind of like an open source platform that that also can do things. Like it can it can perform various types of computations. Um, it serves as a platform for programs, basically. And remember, you don't have to buy a whole coin. You know, people see $57,000 or $2,000 and they think, I can't even afford one of them. I can't, I can't even afford to have one. That's kind of the beauty of it. That's kind of how it's supposed to be. You can buy partial. You can buy point zero up to eight decimal places of one. So no matter how much it costs, you should be able to afford something. If I haven't motivated you or sparked you to go look into it, I don't know what to tell you. Speaking of not knowing how to react, I had an interaction the other day with someone, and it just confirmed one of my observations that I'd made in the past. So this person was telling me a story, and they were describing the situation about a, a third person, completely separate from myself and the person who's telling me, and I wanted, to, I wanted to build a picture in my head of this person. So they were referring to this person as a she, and she said this, and she said that, and lady, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, I go, was it a shoe black or white? And that caught this person off guard. It caught them, I could tell they're a little bit taken aback, like, why does that even matter? And I'm going to tell you why it matters. It's because when somebody is telling me a story... I want to build a picture. I want to, I want to visualize this whole thing that's going on in my head. And knowing whether or not someone has black or white skin should not make anyone uncomfortable. In fact, I think not knowing it would leave things open to racial interpretation. So if you don't tell me what skin color this individual has, now I'm going to take my stereotypes and generalizations and apply them to what color I think they probably have. But maybe, just maybe, by telling me, we can do away with all those stereotypes and generalizations. I'm going to lay out a couple scenarios here. I'm going to try to get into this without being too long-winded. Keep it simple. I want you to picture a guy. I want you to picture a guy who sits up in an office building, 45 stories in the air. He's got a glass window. He looks out. He wears a suit every day. 
Uh, he's a financial guy. He makes decisions in the financial industry, makes regulations, you know, helps helps talk to Congress about things you're supposed to pass to help control the money supply, all those types of things. Now I want you to picture some guy walking around in a hoodie downtown, 75 degrees outside, no need for a hoodie, sticks a pistol in somebody's face, and takes your wallet and runs off. And I want you to picture what color skin each two of those two guys have. Now, if I went up to you and I said, hey, tell me the skin color of the person sitting in the tower. More than likely, if we're all being honest, we would imagine that person as an old white guy. Okay? Why is it that we imagine that? Why, why do we think that? Because chances are 90% of the people who are in that position are old white guys. Obviously, that statistic's made up, 90%, who knows, but you get the idea. Now, we didn't assume his skin color based on the decisions that he makes every day. We based the assumption of his skin color based on our previous experiences and what we've seen and what we've noticed and what we've observed. I don't think that makes us racist. I don't think that leads to racism. Now, let's go back to the guy on the street who robbed someone, he stuck the pistol in their face, took their wallet, ran off. Someone goes to the police and they give her a police report. They say, hey, this guy, I saw him, he was wearing a red sweatshirt, he had blue jeans on, white shoes. And then what's the first question the cops are going to ask? What, what color skin was he? Now, is that so that they can be racist or is that so that they can maybe help identify the suspect somewhere along the lines? But we're so scared to talk about people's skin color because it's so closely tied to this racism idea that I don't think is as prevalent as people want us to feel like it is. Is it racist to say that if, if someone's describing an NBA player to me, that I assume in my head that they're black? Is that racist? No, of course not, because 90-whatever percent of people who play in the NBA are black. Look, my whole point is that we can notice things, we can make observations, we can make generalizations, and it can have to do with skin color without necessarily being all about skin color. And so back to my original point, knowing the color of someone's skin shouldn't be off topic. I mean, it's just information. And I think that as far as terms like old, rich, white males goes and young, poor, black women. You know, if we're, if we're going to stay away from generalizing young black women as being poor, then perhaps we should stay away from generalizing old white males as being rich. And I'm not one of those guys who sits around and says, can you imagine if, if they black people, if white people made the same jokes about black people? I mean, I kind of think that way. But that's not my argument. Listen, assuming things are racist or assuming people are racist has, is why we're at where we're at. I mean, that's, I wholeheartedly believe that. I think that if you, could, if you could take away all of the people who have been mislabeled as racist, take that away, we wouldn't be divided. It goes both directions. It goes both ways. You know, I, I've, been, I've been labeled as being a racist before. And when I get frustrated and try to defend myself, they say, 
Why are you getting mad? If you're not racist, why are you mad? Why are you getting mad? And my response is, I'm being defensive because you're being accusatory. So what have I learned? Not to even engage in that conversation. Those people do not matter to me. Because if you're willing to pass judgment on me without knowing me based on one statement or one thing that I said, then, then you're the one who's being judgmental and we don't need to have this conversation anymore. I think we should make it a priority to base our opinions of people based on how they act and what they do and how they serve and not what we think they mean when they say certain things. And if you don't know enough to make that assumption, if you don't know how that person feels or what their motivations are, then you can't call them anything. You can't say that they're racist. Now, blatantly, if they're standing out there saying, hang black people, then yes, you can assume that they're racist. I'm fine with that. But generally speaking, unless you know someone, one snippet, one sentence, one set of words is not enough. Unless it's extremely blatant. Personally, I see nothing wrong with identifying people by the color of their skin. Just like we identify them by the color of their eyes and their hair and what they're wearing. I, you know, I feel bad for the black Canadians, right? They, people insist on calling them African Americans. And they're like, bro, we don't, we don't live in America. We live in Canada. Why don't we call them African Canadians? I don't know. It's just silly. Why don't we just call them black? He has black skin. I have white skin. Maybe it's not perfectly white, but we get the idea. It's like when they discovered the new world. They set out, heading west, thinking that they were going to make their way to India. They landed in the Caribbean. They said, oh, we're the West Indies. We're there. We made it. And they do some figuring, and they think, oh, wait. This is a new world. We're not there yet. But we're still going to go ahead and call you guys Indians anyway. <laughs> I, I've always thought that was so funny. The islands are still called the West Indies, and the people are still called Indians. <laughs> going back to the black and white racism equality thing, you know, one quote that Martin Luther King had. Now, now listen, I didn't look this up. I just I heard it on a report a while back. So I heard that his quote, MLK's quote was, once we've seen a black president, we will know that equality has been met. And I feel like we have seen a black president. I feel like opportunity is now equal. But he didn't say, you know, whenever we have X amount of black millionaires or whenever we have X amount of black CEOs Whenever we have X amount of black athletes. No, it was when a black person becomes president. And I agree with that. It's the highest position in the land, and it's selected by the people. I don't think that half the country is racist. When a black president was elected, what, eight years ago? Twelve years ago? But what do I know? I'm just an old, rich, white, privileged guy. <laughs> oh, man. I wish I was white privileged. I like to joke around. We've got a guy that comes to the brewery and uh, he works for us on a at-will basis. His name's Anthony. He's semi-homeless, but semi-not-homeless. And I always joke with him and tell him to go out there. And I say, Anthony, you checked the mailbox? See my white privilege checks there yet? <laughs> he just laughs. He actually understands things uh, 
very similarly to the way that I do. And um, yeah, he thinks it's all about opportunity and choice. And he is well aware that his choices have gotten him to where he is and he does not blame anyone. It's quite remarkable. So I'm doing everything I can to keep this guy employed. I would love to figure out a way to lift him out of homelessness. But I've told him that it will not be because they give him free money. So we'll see. I'm calling, I'm calling it the Great Anthony Experiment. He's a super good dude. Comes around the brewery when he needs money. And I tell him, I said, man, all you got to do is get a driver's license and we'll hire you full time. I tried to get him to answer the phones the other day. We uh, There was a water outage in Corpus during the big freeze of 21, which has shown me just how sheepish humans can be. I'll save that for another show. But people were calling every second asking, do you still have water? Do you still have water? Do you still have water? Where do we go? What do we do? How do we get in line? Does it cost money? Where are you located? And they're just question after question. And so we were all getting sick of answering the phone. I told him, I said, Anthony, I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour to sit here and answer the phone for five hours. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Uh-uh. I hear y'all talking to them people. I see what y'all be saying. I ain't, Nope, I am not doing that. I said, look, it's free money. You sit here in the office and answer the phone. Anthony said, nope. He wanted no part of that, which I thought was funny. Even if you're broke and homeless, you still don't want to talk to the people who are calling up there trying to figure out how to get free water. <laughs> All right, I think that's going to wrap things up today. Uh, it was kind of short, but sweet. I know I went deep on a couple of things. Um, you know, it's hard to, to come up with topics sometimes. And then even then, it's hard to like, well, I don't want to do too, too much that's too deep, or I don't want to be too lighthearted, or I don't want to tell too many stories. I don't want to brag about how well my Bitcoin's doing. Okay, I do kind of want to brag about that, but I don't do it too much. So now you know where I'm coming from. Man, if you guys could send me some feedback, let me know like what you like, what you don't like, and then I can adjust it. But my numbers have gone through the roof lately. I'm just kidding. I'm not getting like maybe like 100 people per week listening. So do me a favor. If you believe in what I'm doing, if you believe in what I'm saying, share it with a friend. If you don't, I'd rather you not even listen. Well, maybe not. I need, I need your number. I need your numbers. I would rather you download it and then just delete it and, and not listen, but still go ahead and download it. All right. Thanks again for listening. I'm going to do the Eskimo Bros podcast remotely. You should check that one out. Uh, it's a little bit more long form. Me and my cousin Harry sit around and dissect the problems of the universe and uh, try to remain lighthearted with a low bro- blood pressure. Once again, Life in Paradise podcast. Thanks for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Oh, 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 oh,